We're going to uh, continue our series that we've been doing since the beginning of summer called Standing Firm, and it's, it's about spiritual warfare. And I know some of you are, are going, well, when are we going to get to the stuff? Okay, I hear that all the time. Well, I don't know about you, but we neck deep in the stuff, okay? We, we, we bailed off the pier on the first Sunday, and the water's getting deeper and deeper. And listen to me. Today, it, it's going to be really simple. But if you will take hold of what I'm telling you today, it will revolutionize your battle, okay? It will it will change the way you look at the at the battlefield. Change the way you look at the war. This morning I'm going to entitle this the weapons with a with a plural an S on the end of weapon of our warfare. And and the reason is because the next couple of Sundays after today I'm going to I'm going to deal with the weapons that Scripture talks about. But I want to deal with one weapon today. Okay. And if if you miss this weapon, the rest of them are useless. All right. I'm just going to tell you that. If you miss this one, the rest of them don't work. They're just stuff. Now, having said that, let's just kind of dig in. God wants us to be effective, okay? Every soldier needs to be effective. And if you're a believer this morning, you're a soldier. Whether you believe that or not, you are a soldier. And every soldier needs to be effective. And an effective soldier, though, is is a, a soldier that's fully armed and has the ability to use all the weapons at his disposal. Our expertise in in using those weapons usually determines whether we're successful or not, whether we we stand on on the hill after the battle's over with our arms raised high or we're kind of down there like this. And I see a lot of Christians like this. Okay, They don't even know the sun shines because they never lift their head up. They're defeated, they're whipped, they're beaten. All right? That's a lie. I'm just going to tell you that straight out. You've believed a lie, okay? I want to give you a spiritual principle. And, and I, would, I wish I had given it to Connie to put up there because it's that important, but I, I forgot about it, okay? Um, but there's, there's a principle that every one of us need to understand. I keep walking. I'm going to be middle ways down the aisle, okay? <laughs> I know I'm out, of my, I'm out of the zone. i got to move back. Here's the principle. God will not do for you what he has already given you the ability or the authority to do for yourself. Let me say that again. God will not do for you what he has already given you the ability or the authority to do for yourself. There are certain things that God says here. You have this. You can do this. Now, what happens is we pray and we pray and we pray. Oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, and, and nothing happens. And very often the reason nothing happens is because we don't do anything. God's already given us the ability to do what we're asking for, or he's already given us the authority to do that. Does that make sense? Okay. Now, that simply means we have to pray, yes. Okay? We have to believe in faith, yes. But we have to get up off our backsides and do something. Okay, that was a nice way to put that. Okay, I, I couldn't think of any nicer way to put that. All right, we have to get up and do something. We have to get busy. Uh, we have to put our faith in our and our prayers in action sometimes. 
And what most of us don't realize is that the weapons God has given us are powerful beyond our understanding. But if we refuse to use those weapons, they're powerless as far as the situation or the circumstance that I'm in. If I won't use what God's already given me, then what kind of help can I expect? A lot of us want God to send some angels. You ever prayed for angels to come and help you? I have. Now, some of the situations, that may not be biblical, but I think it is. I mean, there, there, there are times when, when, when we need those warrior spirits to come, but a lot of Christians want angels to come and do their stuff for them. And that's not what God intended. God intended for us to take the battlefield and to do what he's called us to do. Now, I'm responsible, you're responsible for, for learning what our weapons are. And once we learn what they are, we're responsible for learning how to use them. And once we understand that, then we can stand firm and we can hold the ground that God's given us. So to do so, we, we need to understand our weapons. And, and, and I'm, I'm going to say this, I've already said this several times, but spiritual warfare is real. Okay? When you pray, you're engaged in spiritual warfare. When you read your Bible, you're engaged in spiritual warfare. When you minister to someone, you're engaged in spiritual warfare. All of that's a part of spiritual war. There's other parts where we, we come against the enemy and we take a stand against the enemy and we won't give him ground. Or we take back what he's taken from us. Uh, most people go way over here with spiritual warfare in the area of deliverance. But listen, there's a, there's a wide range of spiritual warfare. And it's all important. Okay? It's all important. There's a battle going on all around us. You've heard me say that before. It's a battle for the control of our minds and a battle for the control of our hearts. Really what it's a battle for is who or what we're going to worship. Okay, that, that's the battle. And it's been, it's been fought since Adam and Eve stood in the garden. Who are you going to worship? Are you going to worship the Lord God? Who is the only God? Are we going to worship Satan? You say, well, you know, I, I don't really worship God, but I don't worship Satan. Listen to me. If you're not worshiping God, you're worshiping Satan. Because when you worship yourself, and that's what a lot of people do, they worship themselves. They are the most important person in all of creation. That's just the worship of, of Satan. That's all it is. So that's not part of my sermon, but hey, I think it's important that we understand that. And we can't ignore this, okay? Therefore, we have to engage in that battle with, with strength, expertise, rather than timidity or ignorance or fear. Listen to me. Expertise comes with having proper biblical information and practical experience. You need both of them, okay? You can have all the information in the world and have no experience and it won't do you a lot of good. And you can have all the experience, but have, don't have the proper biblical understanding, and you can get yourself in trouble. I can remember several years ago, uh, one of the major denominations came out with a, a workbook, and it's a Bible study to be done in churches, and it was about spiritual warfare. And I picked up a copy. I, I, this is one of those areas that, that interests me, and in, in, in probably in my library, I say that glowingly, but my library is in about 60 books packed in my barn, okay? It's been packed for two years. <laughs> I have no place to put it right now. But I probably have over 100 books on spiritual warfare. 
Some of them are very good, but most of them are, you know, there's, there's a little fish and a lot of bones. Uh, some of it's good and some of it's garbage, okay? But this, uh, this couple of denominational professors did a, a book on spiritual warfare. The only problem was is their spiritual warfare experience was non-existence. They wrote it as scholars researching scholarly material. And when it was all said and done at the end of it, you know, it was, a, it was, a great, it was some great information, but because they had no experience, they drew wrong conclusions. And it didn't help. It hurt. We can have all kinds of information, but if we've never put it into practical use, it might not be as good information as we think it is. It's easy to say this never happens. Okay? How can anybody say that? Because nobody's ever seen everything. It's easy to say that, that the Bible doesn't say that if we don't look at the Bible. You see, we, we've got to balance it. There's got to be information, and there's got to be experience. They've got to come together. This governs everything, though. Okay, This governs my experiences. But to be a good warrior, I need some experience. Okay, I need to put this into effect. So, if we have the right information... In other words, we have, and I, I'm just going to, I'm going to term it in words that are not very popular today, and that's doctrine, okay? Most people don't like to hear the word doctrine. We're not going to study doctrine, are we? It's dry and, and dead. Folks, listen to me. If we don't have the proper doctrine, if we don't understand what God says, that's all doctrine is, okay? Biblical doctrine is what God says. If we don't have the foundation, we have nothing to stand on. And if we don't have anything to stand on, folks, the storms will come and the sand will go away from under our foundation and we will be gone. So we need biblical doctrine. But if we know the doctrine and we understand what to do with that doctrine, we've had some experience, then, folks, we can do what we need to do with God's power at the crucial moment that it needs to be done. Okay? Soldiers train and train and train. They sit in classrooms and study and study and study. You know why? So that when they're on the battlefield and the situation arises, they know what to do. And if, if soldiers in the physical realm need to do that, how much more do soldiers in the spiritual realm need to do that? I want you to listen to this passage. It's found in, in 2 Corinthians verse 10. And it's uh, or chapter 10, verse 3 and 4. It says, For we walk in the flesh... But we don't war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. Don't miss this. Paul says we are flesh. We're human beings. Is there anybody in here that, that struggles to believe that they're a human being? I know some people that could be very helpful in helping you understand that. We are flesh, okay? But we are flesh human beings fighting a supernatural enemy. All right? We fight angelic beings, demonic beings, which, whichever you would prefer to call them. They are demonic angels, okay? That's, that's basically what the Bible says. Our battle's not against human beings, okay? Your battle's not against your spouse, it's not against your kids, it's not against your boss at work. It's not against the, the person that cuts you off in traffic, 
I probably need to direct that one to myself. It's not the, per- it's not the young man that cut me off in traffic. Nor is it the person who took your parking spot at Walmart, okay? That, our, our battle's not against them. It's not against flesh. Our battle, according to Ephesians 6.12, is it's against rulers. It's against, it's, it's against powers. It's against world forces of this darkness. It's against spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. And if we could get that fact settled in our heads and in our hearts once and for all, my enemy is not you. It's not that person out there. My enemy is the devil and his forces. It would revolutionize our relationships See, when I, when I begin to look at somebody that I'm at odds with and realize, you know what? She's not my enemy. He's not my enemy. My enemy is darkness, and that darkness is, is using this person. Then all of a sudden, you know what? The battlefield gets a lot bigger, and my problem gets a lot smaller, and I recognize what the issue is. You see... If you get that one fact settled, it changes your hearts and it changes the dynamics of the relationships you're involved in, though. But until we know and understand that our enemy is who our enemy is, our weapons are useless. You see, God never intended for us to take the Word of God and smash other people with it. Okay, He never intended that. He never intended for, for pastors or, or teachers or, or Christians to use this to demonize other human beings. I don't care how wrong they are. Now, I believe we stand for truth, okay? But I believe you argue the, the issue, okay, the issue. What is typically done in politics, in religious issues in interpersonal issues is we demonize the other person and then the dam breaks and you can do whatever you want. God never intended us to use the word of God to, to smash people, nor did he, he, he give it to us to, to beat people into submission because their personal beliefs differ from mine. You say, well, pastor, don't you want everybody to believe the way you do? No. When it comes to Jesus, yes. I want them to believe that Jesus saves. Okay? That Jesus died on the cross. That he is the only way to salvation. All right? But you know what? I can have brothers and sisters that disagree with me on end time events and how the the book of Revelation translates and and what this means and what that means. We We can agree to disagree. This is not a sword to cut each other up. This is a sword to destroy the works of the devil with. Okay? Does that make sense? Now, I can sit and argue my point with you one-on-one in a healthy way and never get offended that you disagree with me. Okay? Smoke's not going to come out of my ears, and I'm not going to start screaming or anything like that. We, We can agree to disagree. God never intended for his word to be used like a weapon to destroy other flesh and blood human beings, okay? Now, you may disagree with me, but if you do, then you're wrong, okay? <laughs> I, I just going out there and say, it's not, it was never intended to execute people with, okay? It just wasn't. It was intended to show those who have not been introduced to Jesus, Jesus. 
It was, you, it, was, it was intended to be a guide to make us look more like Jesus. It is a guide of what's right and wrong. But listen to me. You don't have to convince people what's right and wrong. There is a witness within them, according to Romans chapter 1. They know what right and wrong is. All right? So I don't have to convince people that what they're doing is right or wrong. I just show them the love of Jesus, show them what the Word of God says, and I move on. Okay? Does that make sense? That that ought to set some of you free. Okay? You're not going to convince your prodigal, that they're wrong. You know why? Because they know they're wrong. You're not going to convince your spouse that he or she's wrong because you know what? They may not be wrong. You may be wrong. (laughs) You didn't think I was going there, did you? I'm going back to my sermon, okay? I'm going to go back. But we don't use... Our, fle- our, 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 our spiritual weapons to fight fleshly battles, but neither do we use fleshly weapons to fight spiritual battles. I don't care what you've seen on TV. I don't care what this movie portrayed. I don't care what that, that, that story or that book or that magazine article you read. The devil is not intimidated at all by bombs, gas, guns, bullets, tanks, He doesn't care how big your airplane is or how powerful your bomb is. He doesn't reside in this dimension. He is a spiritual being. So so we don't fight our battles, our spiritual battles, with, with physical weapons. We use the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. He's, he's immune to everything else. And so to defeat him in our daily lives, we need supernatural weapons. That's, that's the point I'm trying to get to. We need supernatural equip, weapons. And God has equipped all of us. If you're a believer this morning, God has equipped you with some supernatural weapons. Now, you may not be aware of them, but he's given, to you, given, given them to you just the same. And we need to familiarize ourselves with them. We need to become efficient in them. We know how to, to, to we need to know how to effectively use them. First Corinthians, I mean Second Corinthians ten, the passage we just looked at, verse four, uh, uses a, a definition or it uses a description. It says these weapons are divinely powerful. Literally, what that means is they are mighty before God. The only way to describe these weapons is to, is to use superlatives, okay? And that's what, that's what this text is saying, that, that these weapons can only be described. They're employed on God's behalf, but they have to be understood in a superlative manner. And, and, and the best words I can come up with to describe these weapons is they're unmatched, okay? They're unbeatable. They're incomparable. They're supreme. They're unrivaled. They're totally unique. Satan does not possess the weapons that we possess. Okay? Let, let that settle just a minute. He is not equal to a man or a woman who is resting in Jesus Christ and using the weapons that God has provided. He is not equal to. His weapons are deadly. Okay? His weapons are dangerous, but they're inferior, and they're no way incomparable. Now, let me give you a, give me a, a, an illustration. Satan has hand grenades. Okay? 
And he tosses them all the time. Any, he toss any in, in, in your house this week or in, in your car? Okay. God doesn't toss hand grenades. God mashed a button 2,000 years ago and launched what I would call a nuclear bomb when they nailed Jesus Christ to the cross. Okay? Satan's weapons cause explosions here and there. Jesus destroyed the enemy. That's how powerful God's weapons are. And if we just use those weapons, and if, if we just realize that when we equip ourselves with Jesus, we're unbeatable, okay? Now, that ought to encourage some of you. That ought to make some of you bold in the situation that you're in this morning. It's not us, okay? It's not us. It's Jesus, now, typically, most preachers and teachers would take you to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14 and 18. And we'd look at the weapons of our warfare. We're not going there today, okay? We'll get there. We're not going there today because I really believe it's important that we understand what is the, the foundation, what the heart of our weaponry is. If we don't understand its foundation, we want to understand how to, to access we want to understand how to use it on the battlefield. We want to understand which weapon to use at which time. So we're going to talk more today about foundation. We're going to talk about core than we are about the weapons themselves. In other words, we're going to talk about the key component that God has empowered us with and expects every one of us to employ no matter what we're doing, no matter what kind of battle we're involved in, no matter what the situation calls for. The reality is, is that this is not necessarily a what, Okay? What kind of weapon? It's a who. Y'all tracking with me? These are, not, these are not guns and knives, spiritual guns and knives in that sense. It's a person. All right? It's a person. His name is Jesus. It's, it's, a, it's, a pers- it's not a personal arsenal either. It's a, it's a personal relationship. It's a personal relationship. Every spiritual weapon that God has given us is contained in Jesus Christ. I challenge you today to show me one, okay? If you can show me one, it's not a spiritual weapon, okay? Every weapon God has given us has its basis, has its foundation, has its power in Jesus Christ. Listen to me. Water is just water. Oil is just oil. Crucifixes are just two pieces of material nailed together if there is no Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? And I could go on and on with a list of others. But apart from Christ, all of those things are just things, okay? They're just things. They have no power unless Christ is the center of it. Unless we understand what that oil represents, unless we understand what that water has been blessed to do, unless we understand what the, the power of the cross is. So we've watched too many vampire movies, okay? And horror stories. And we've built our theology on horror stories instead of what the Word of God teaches. And that's why we get our heads kicked in day in and day out, okay? We've become superstitious rather than spiritual. So let's just look today at who our weapon is and just understand that 
that he's the one that's defeated the devil. It's too easy to get caught up in shields and helmets and sandals and breastplates and swords and forget that they were just physical. Paul was just making a physical point, an illustration. He was, he was using objects to teach spiritual lessons. Okay? He was using objects. He was using illustrations to teach something that was spiritual in nature. So this morning, we're, just, we're not going to talk about the weapons themselves. We're going to talk about the weapon. Okay? Satan has, has, like I said, he's detonated hand grenades all through history, but God launched the, the nuclear bomb one time. And listen to me, one time was enough. Okay? It was enough. Now, you've heard me say this over and over and over. But we're fighting from a position of victory, not for victory. Okay? If you're fighting for victory this morning, you're not resting in Christ. See, Christ has already won the victory. We rest in Christ. We don't fight for victory. We enforce the victory. Nelson, you don't understand I'm struggling with this in my life. I've, I've got an addiction here. I've got, a, I've got a sin I just can't overcome here. Okay, that victory has already been won. You just need to enforce it, okay? It's not, you're not fighting for your life. You're, you're fighting to enforce what Jesus Christ says he's already destroyed. He's already beaten. Does that make sense? Okay, I, I don't want to mix anybody up or mess anybody up, but we're not fighting for victory. We're not hanging on by our fingernails, and if I've got to wait five more minutes before I get the victory. No, we're enforcing what Jesus said is already done. When he declared on the cross it was finished, it really was. It was finished. The debt's paid. I've done what needs to be done so that my children can walk in victory. Whew, I may get to preaching in a minute here. Forget these notes. Okay? Let me give you an illustration. I, I'm, what I'm trying to tell you is the war has already been won. Now, we're still engaged in the battle, okay? But the devil's back was broken. No, I doubt seriously there will be many in here, a few maybe, but, but I, I certainly don't remember this, but I grew up hearing stories about it, about D-Day. For those of you that are not up on history, D-Day happened during World War II. It seemed Germany, Germany had basically taken the continent of Europe. And the only thing that, that held them in bay was the English Channel. And they were, they were intent on destroying England and capturing it. And what happened is the, the Allies gathered, they staged in England, and on December, I mean, excuse me, June 6, 1944, a great invasion took place. And the Allied forces landed at Normandy Beach and some other beaches, Omaha, all up and down the, the, the French coast. The dogs are not my enemy, okay? In Jesus' name. I know who the enemy is, and I know, I know what he wants to do, okay? I just, just tune in. They're just dogs, okay? The Allied forces, they landed on the beach. Hundreds and hundreds of soldiers died. But eventually, they got a beachhead. And then they scaled those bluffs, and they overran the German positions. And folks, when that battle was over, World War II was over. Now, it didn't end, for another year. And there were other battles that followed. But basically, Germany's power was broken. 
That's what I'm talking about when I say Jesus has won the battle. The the decisive, not the divisive, but the decisive event has taken place. The cross and the resurrection. Okay? We're in the mop-up group. Now, here's the thing about the mop-up. You can still get killed, okay, if you don't learn to use your weapons. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 10, verse 14, he, he says to us, he says, Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. In other words, put Jesus on. In, in, in verse 12, before this, he says, Put on the armor of light. And the armor of light and Jesus are the same thing. If you go to Ephesians chapter 6, Uh, Verse 11 and verse 13, he says the same thing. He says, put on the full armor of God. So we are putting on Jesus when we put on our armor, okay? I know people think through it and they they put on that helmet. But literally, Connie's got a picture. I hope she can show it. I'm, I'm putting her on the spot. This is literally what's happening. When we come to Christ... We put on, He puts Christ on us and in us. We are covered in Jesus Christ. So when we get dressed for war, we are dressed in Jesus. Okay? Now, if you know that, and the devil knows you know that, he approaches you a lot different than if you didn't know that and just think you're putting on a helmet and a shield and all the other stuff. The key is Jesus Christ. He's, he's the armor of God. He's, the, he's the, the, the armor of light. And we put him on, literally, we clothe ourselves in him. We get dressed in him. Now, just for a few moments, okay, I want you to consider what Jesus did and why that's so important to us, okay? For most of you, these will be things you already know, okay? But these are basic things that we need to remind ourselves over and over and over. Lots of Christians want to go to the deeper things. Folks, I'm going to just tell you something. What I'm fixing to share with you is so deep, so deep, so deep, okay? We could spend the rest of our existence. If you know Jesus this morning, that is an eternal existence, studying these things, and we would never plumb their depths, okay? These are the deep things. The rest of that stuff that people call deep things are just points to argue over. Okay, so just just bear with me a few minutes, okay? For Christians, for believers, everything is about Jesus. And you find this in the Old Testament and the New Testament. I hear people say, well, I don't need the Old Testament. I've got the New Testament. If you don't use the Old Testament, you have no foundation for the New Testament. You can't understand the New Testament, okay? So what we have is the Bible, which is composed of an Old and a New Testament, okay? We need all of it. But there's a passage, and and we quote it very often in in different groups to mean different things. And it's found in in Isaiah 53, verse 5. And to me, it's it's one of those verses in Scripture that cover everything. Okay, and I'm going to share with you what I mean by that. Listen to what Isaiah says. He's writing about the Messiah that would come. And Isaiah is writing hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus ever comes. He says this. He says, but he, who? The Messiah, Jesus, was pierced or he was wounded 
for our transgressions. Transgressions are sin. That's what, that's what a transgression is. It means you've stepped over the border. You've transgressed. He was crushed for our iniquities. Iniquities are, are sins in which we realize something is wrong, but we say that, you know what, the rules don't apply to me. I'll still do it. So, so he's, de- he's dealing with the, the two categories of sin that if, if, I guess if you were saying this is the worst and this is the least, those are the two highest ones, okay? There's, there's, there's iniquity, transgressions, and then there's sin where we just miss God's mark. Does that make sense? But in reality, all it takes is one of those to send a person to hell, okay? Everybody with me? So Isaiah says he was wounded, he was pierced through, he was nailed to a cross, is, 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 would be the Latin way of saying it, the Roman way of saying it. He was, he was nailed to a cross for our transgression. He was, he was smashed and bit crushed for our iniquities. He's talking about spiritual healing there. You do realize that. He's talking about spiritual healing. But this verse doesn't just deal with spiritual healing. Listen to what he says in the, in the, in the next part. He says, the chastening of our well-being, our peace, peace was upon him. It fell upon him. Folks, peace is what we need emotionally. It's what we need in our minds. It's what we need in our heart. So, there, so there's, there's spiritual healing. There's also emotional healing, but, but he doesn't stop there. He says, then he says, and by his stripes or by his scourging, by his beating, we were healed. There's physical healing in there as well. And so what he's saying is, is that Jesus is everything we need. Spiritually, soul-wise, emotionally, and physically. He's everything we need as a people. But he doesn't stop there. He, 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 the, the Bible, and I could only list a few of these things, but I just want to remind you of these things because I want you to, rem- I want you to understand how important Jesus is. When I tell you Jesus is the most important thing in your life, I'm not just giving you preacher talk, okay? I'm, I'm sharing the truth with you. He's far more important than a retirement program. He's far more important than your, your doctor. He's far more important than your health regime that you're on, where you're running and eating and all those things. Although those are all important, Jesus is far more important than anything else. And and we just need to realize that. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 3 tells us, the Apostle Paul says, For I delivered to you as first importance. And here's what it was. Paul says, This is the most important thing I preached. He says, I received this same thing. He says that Jesus died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Jesus died for us. That's the most important thing that we can understand and know. Jesus died in our place. He paid our sin debt. All of us had a debt we couldn't pay. A debt we owed. And Jesus paid it. Listen to what... uh, Paul says again in Galatians 1.4, he says, Jesus is the one who gave himself for us. In other words, he died in our place. So he paid our debt and he gave himself in our place. He took our place. He pushed us aside and stepped in to take the punishment that was ours. And folks, it wasn't just his death that's important. It's also his resurrection that's important. Okay, sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we make, 
we make Friday the most important day. But look, Friday and Sunday morning are at one and the same event. You cannot have the cross without the resurrection or all you have is a dead prophet in a tomb. Okay? The resurrection is the key event. Because in that resurrection, Scripture tells us in Romans 4, 25, that He was delivered up because of our transgressions. In other words, He was nailed to the cross because of our sins. We've already looked at that. But He was raised for our justification so that we could be declared not guilty. Okay? So that, so that the, the, the debt that was paid could be applied to our account is another way of putting it. So that God could write a check. Okay, Jesus, Jesus wrote the check. God cashed it in the resurrection on our account. Look at other things. His blood's important. What He shed was important because it redeemed us. We don't understand what redemption means. I mean, we, we think about it like green. I used the green stamp illustration a couple of Sundays ago. We redeem it, coupons. And that, that's not what this word really means. It pictures, folks, a, sl- a block with a nude human being standing on it. Male, female, didn't matter. Being auctioned off to the highest bidder for a life of bondage and servitude. That's what, and the person who bought that slave, they would say redeemed that person. They paid the redemption price. And that's, that's the picture when Scripture talks about redemption. That's what it's talking about. And, and I love the way Peter puts it. Peter, Peter writes so clearly and so eloquently, and yet all he is is a fisherman, okay? Can I just tell you something? Blue-collar people have a way of saying things that nobody else can say. I know because I'm a blue-collar person, all right? I know what it's like to have dirt on my fingernails. I know what it's like. Not, not that being a white collar is, is, but you know what? You don't have to be, you don't have to have all the education, all the degrees in the world to say things clearly. Peter can say some of the most beautiful things if you'll just read. Listen to what he says. He says, knowing, in First Peter chapter 1, 18 and 19, he says, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver and gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood. Blood is of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Peter says that it was Christ's blood that purchased us, that redeemed us, that that bought us off that slave block, that took us out of a life of slavery and gave us freedom. It was literally through Jesus that God poured out His blessings over us, folks. You say, that's why are you going on and on and on about this? Because, folks, we don't have anything apart from Jesus Christ. And if we don't learn that, we're never going to be effective in spiritual warfare. See, most people's spiritual warfare depends on what they do or don't do or what they say or don't say or the formula they pray or the exact words they say at the right moment. Listen to me. The Bible teaches that spiritual warfare is dependent on on Jesus and whether or not you understand your position in Him. I would much rather have somebody that understands their position in Jesus Christ ministering with me in a situation 
than a thousand PhDs who can tell me all about this king and that king. Okay? Not that there's anything wrong with that. All right? Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 1.30. He says, but by His, by God's doing, you are in Jesus Christ. You are in Christ Jesus. Who came, who became to us wisdom from God. Both righteousness and sanctification and redemption. He didn't just buy us off that block and save us from slavery, folks. He gave us His righteousness. Okay? He gave us His holiness. It's been imputed to us. It's been given to us. So that when I go out on the battlefield, the the breastplate I wear shines with the righteousness of God. It blinds the enemy, okay? Because he can't look at the righteousness and the holiness of God. It, It says that it was also because for our sanctification. Sanctification is just a big word that means we are daily being set apart. We are being made holy by God. There's a process going on in our emotions and in our soul and in our mind and in our heart where God is stripping away the dead stuff, okay? The old stuff, the sins and and the shame and all that other garbage. God's taking that away day after day after day. And the biblical word is sanctification. It just means we are being set apart for His use. God is setting us apart for His use. And He's doing it through who? Jesus through what Jesus has already done. It was through Jesus, listen to me, that we were filled and baptized in the Holy Spirit. That's what Scripture teaches. The last words Jesus spoke to His followers before He ascended into heaven. Listen to what He says in Acts chapter 1. He says, For John baptized, Jesus is speaking here. These are red letters, okay? For John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with, and depending on how you want to translate it, with in or by, okay? Any of those translations apply. With, in, or by the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. And then in verse 8 and 9, he says, And you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even in the remotest parts of the earth. We've been clothed in the Holy Spirit, folks. He lives inside of us. You know why he's there? Because Jesus sent him. Jesus said, I'm going to send another one. Okay? And I'm going to give you all a Greek lesson because this is one of the richest words in all of Scripture. He says, I'm going to send another one. Okay? There's two different words in Greek for another. One means of a different kind and one means of the same kind. And the one that Jesus uses is, I'm going to send one of the same kind. Okay? He didn't send something different from heaven. He sent His Spirit to reside in us, folks. We're empowered. We are empowered with the power, Scripture says, that raised Jesus from the dead. He lives in us. He's not just on us. He's in us. He's in us and He ain't leaving. Okay, He's not going anywhere. You say, well, you don't know what I've done. No, but God's not an Indian giver, okay? He doesn't give and take away because of what you've done. He gives because of who He is and His unconditional love. None of us deserve it. Amen? None of us deserve it. We have the Spirit of God living in us because Jesus poured Him out on us. 
Okay? But not just, not just the Spirit himself. We've also been equipped with the gifts of the Spirit, which is the power of God. Okay? If you want to just sum it up in a few words, the gifts of the Spirit are the power of God at work. And we also have the fruit of the Spirit, which is the attributes in a sense, or, or literally the character of God. So God, Jesus has given us his character and his power. Folks, Scripture says we're being conformed in Romans chapter 8, verse 29. It says we're being conformed to the image of God. That's like a mold. And God has placed us in that mold. That mold is Jesus Christ. Day by day, God's cranking that mold down. And one of these days, that mold, the sides will match. They will lock. And guess what? I'll pop out. And I won't act like Nelson anymore. I won't get upset when somebody cuts me off in traffic. I won't jump out of my car and then have to think about what I'm doing. I I won't do that anymore because what will happen is I'll raise up and I'll be in the image of Jesus Christ. Okay? The same thing is happening to every one of you today. And the reason that it hurts so much is because God is squeezing us out and placing Jesus in. Okay? It's a painful process. But if we realize that, we'll realize what we have. We'll realize what's going on. Now, I could go on and on and on, but I want to read one more verse, and I want, you to, I want to bring you to a place because if you'll get this, you'll understand what I'm talking about. Scripture declares in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 and 6, it says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, in our transgressions. Folks, God loved us even when we were at odds with Him, enemies of Him. All of this was going on while we were yet in that condition. He says, He has made us alive together with Christ, or by reason of Christ. He says this, by grace you've been saved. Now listen to me. He's made us alive together with Christ. We've been saved by grace. Then he says this, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ. Now, most of you didn't catch what I just said. Okay? He did not say that we will be raised up in him, we will be seated with him in heavenly places one day by and by in the sky in heaven. That's not what he says there. He says, we have been raised, past tense, already accomplished. We have been raised up with Him, and we have been seated in Him. Okay? We have, our position currently, right now, is resurrected and seated with Jesus Christ. Now let that settle. You say, Vanessa, you don't know where I'm at. You don't know what's going on. I, don't, I do care where you're at, and, and I do care what's going on. But you know what? It doesn't matter based on what God says. He says, that may be where you think you are. But I say you're seated with Jesus here. I say that you're already resurrected. I say that you're seated with Christ in heaven. Now, folks, we have to realize the perspective from which we are to view the battlefield that we are on. How many of you realize that when you are on the battlefield here, you just can't see anything but what's attacking, right? But if you step up 
a little higher, you can see what's behind that enemy, right? You can see where that enemy came from. You can see what that enemy has that he's hiding or not hiding. See, position is everything. Location, location, location. It's everything. Most of us are living right here. All I can see is this and coming and this and coming and that and coming. But the Bible says we're here. Big difference, okay? Big difference if you just let that settle for a minute. The Bible says we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Now listen to me. The only way that the enemy can defeat us is to lure us down from our position. He cannot come here. Okay? He cannot come up here. But we can go down here if we choose to. If we don't realize who we are and who Jesus is. See, He can't defeat us as long as we're seated up here. You know, when you're seated, you're not real anxious about things. When, when I'm anxious, I can't sit down. Any of y'all like that? But you know what? When I get stretched out and I'm not anxious about anything, I'm as calm as I can be and everything's case of rah, Well, you know what? We are seated in Christ. And it's not case of rah, Whatever will be, will be. It's what God says will be, will be. All right? We can trust the sovereignty of God. Satan cannot come up here. So why would we want to go down there? All right? Why would we want to go down there? Folks, we have to stay seated. We have to remain in that undefeatable position in Christ. You remember at the beginning I I told you that that our weapons were... were, Let me go back and just look in 2 Corinthians and I'll show you. They, They are literally divinely powerful. That's the word. That's our weapon, Jesus Christ. And he's placed us in our weapon, okay? In the person of Christ. We are seated in Christ. He is divinely powerful. Satan can't even get to us unless we come down. Unless we stand up and and step down. As long as I stay seated, you know what? He can't touch me. I know some of y'all are struggling to believe. I'm just telling you what's, I'm just showing you what Scripture says, okay? To understand our weapon, folks, is, is, is to understand the undefeatable position of being in Christ. It's where God says we are located. He put us there, okay? He put us there. There's a passage in the Old Testament that I think is more than just a proverb. I think it, it is an Old Testament way of speaking the same thing that I've been trying to speak. And most of you will know this verse. It's found in Proverbs verse 18.10. It says this, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. And the righteous run into it, and they are saved. We learned that. Uh, I can remember my daughter learning that at, 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 in school. And as she was learning her ABC, she learned a Bible verse with each one. And this is one of the, I think it was for... Uh, I don't know which one it was. In maybe. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into him and they are saved. I pray this verse over and over and over. You know what this means? It literally means that, that God is a tower and the righteous run into it 
And they are safe. They are literally, they are placed on high. That's what it means to be saved. It means to be placed on, they are placed on high. Isn't that exactly what, what the passage that we just read said, that we are in Christ, seated in the heavenlies? That's what the Old Testament's teaching, the same thing. And folks, Jesus is a fortress. He's a stronghold. He can't be entered by the enemy. The enemy can't get in. He can't lay siege. He can't knock the walls down. He can't pick the lock. He cannot come in. And folks, once we put on Christ, we've armed ourselves with the whole armor of God. Everything we need is at our disposal. Everything we need to stand firm in the, in the spiritual battle is there. To listen again to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 and 11, and we're done. It says, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His mind. Paul goes all the way through the book of Ephesians. He teaches us who we are in Christ. That's what the first couple of chapters are about and what it means to be in Christ. Then he, he turns in chapter uh, 2, and the end of chapter 2 and 3, and he begins to give us practical ways of living it out. Okay? And then he reminds us at the end of the, of the book, he says, finally, because of what goes before, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the full, put on all of God. Put on all of Jesus that you might be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Listen to me this morning. If you will take hold of Jesus this morning, if you will take hold of Jesus, the devil is defeated in your life and you can stand firm. It's that simple. It's that simple. He's defeated. Don't you say it with me? Satan is defeated. Okay? Don't you say this? Satan is defeated in my life. He's defeated in my life. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Let's pray. Father, this morning. For more information on Eagles Wing Church, visit our website at www.eagleswingchurch.org or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Eagles Wing Church. Thanks for listening and have a blessed week.